0: Good evening. How are you going? Good to see you. Wow. It's a good crowd for a Thursday night, isn't it? Brilliant. Well done. That's fantastic. Is there nothing on TV tonight? No. No, it's the tennis. Isn't that boring? Boring. Anyway. Yeah. Thank you for having us again uh, down here. It's been four years, but it doesn't seem that long. Thank you. It's a privilege to be with you. I love this part of Australia. It's really beautiful. Very nice place, but I'm not a country boy, so you'll excuse me if I don't stay. I'm leaving on Monday. (laughs) Uh, I know this is your encounter night, and you come here to pursue your deeper relationship with God, yeah? Yeah? So I wanted to share something with you tonight that I don't share very often, okay? It's something that I choose not to do very often. But I wanted, really felt very strongly when Pastor Rob told me about tonight that I should share this with you. So I'm going to tell you what you have never heard before. Now, that's a bold statement for a preacher because most of the time you've been around a long time. You've heard it all before, right? I've heard that before. No, you haven't heard this before, okay? And secondly, I'm going to tell you that once I tell you it, you will never forget it. That's a bold statement for a preacher, isn't it? Now, I know some of you looking at me and say, I've been around a long time, Pastor. There is nothing you can tell me I haven't heard before and nothing you can tell me I won't forget. Isn't that right? That's the preacher's dilemma, right? You keep forgetting. A preacher's job is to keep reminding you of what you've forgotten. Yeah. But I will tell you something tonight you've never heard before. And, and I will tell you it in a way. I believe the truth is such that when you hear it, you will not forget it, because that was the way God intended it to be. I can't guarantee you will do it. Matter of fact, that's more difficult. But I can assure you that it will make an impression on you. Now, before you say, "Well, are you, you know, sort of building yourself up as a preacher," no, it's not me, the preacher. It's the word itself. Okay, this is what the Word says. So let me begin by saying this to you. You you know, we all have different translations of the Bible, right? I I have a fairly extensive library of Bible translations. I've been around a long time, and I like to read different ones, so I don't know how many I've got on myself 30, 40, 50, I don't know. I've got loads of them, right? And, And they're all nice, and they all have their place in everything else. But when you read the translations there are sometimes, there are things that the translator does that mm, it's a bit annoying, okay? And you know these one translations, it says this here, then it doesn't say, it says something different there, and until so you think, I don't like that. I'll, I'll stick with this translation because I don't like. But there is one particular part of the Bible where I'm going to share with you tonight, where the translators, when they were making this translation, they came to a particular word, And when they came to this word, they came to a conclusion. We couldn't possibly tell them this. Let's change the word. Because if we tell them this, they're not going to really be able to sort of take it in. It's too much. They'll misunderstand it. So they changed the word. In changing the word, they lost the vast amount of the meaning that God had in this passage of Scripture because they changed the word. Now, it's a very little change, but it makes a really big difference. So my point to you is if I tell you what it actually says, are you grown up enough to take it? <laughs> yeah? No, no. listen, I'm not going to kick you in the head or anything like that, right? It's not a, I'm not setting you up for a, he- a kick in the head. But the point is, it's going to be something you thought, oh, the Bible doesn't say things like that. Well, it does. For example, this is not what I'm talking about. For example, when the Apostle Paul is writing, and and he says, I gave up all things. All things to me have become dross. Remember that word, dross? And then you read it in in your various translations, and it will say rubbish. And then you read it in another translation, and it will say, uh, have become nothing. What he actually said was it. Uh, the politest term you could get to, his manure. But he didn't use the word manure. He got closer to the other word that is used, which we use as a swear word, but was not, he didn't say that word, but this close. But the translators didn't want you to understand that. So what he's saying is everything that I have lost by coming to Christ is just like a big pile of steaming manure, it's useless. Uh, I have something far greater than all of that you see what he's trying to say? But the translators mess it up when they talk about dross. You know, anyway, never mind. So, so they do things like that. Turn with me now to the book of Jeremiah. Oh, I'm sorry, you don't have a Bible. Most people don't. Well, in your, you know, maybe, oh, we have a Bible in the house. That's fantastic. God bless you, sister. So if you've got a, uh, Pastor Rob's got a Bible. There you go. So if you've, whatever Bible you've got, you know, it doesn't matter to I'm just having fun with you. But I want you to look at Jeremiah chapter 13, and we're going to talk to you about one of the things that Old Testament prophets do. Now, you know Old Testament prophets. They say some weird things, right? And they have some weird ways of communicating truth. So they use some pretty extravagant ideas uh, and some elaborate ideas. Sometimes they use things like a basket of fruit, and they prophesy about the basket of fruit in Israel. And then sometimes it's about horses of different colors. And then sometimes it's about wineskins and, you know, something about uh, that one prophet led on his side. And then he had to lie on his side for a long time. And then, okay, you can turn over after a month. And then will lie on this side for a month, you know. And, and all sorts of weird things were going on in the prophetic scriptures of the Old Testament. And so when you read some of these things, you have to understand it as a, as a means of communicating truth with these prophetic symbols and signs and sort of illustrations. And they're very, very potent, very strong signs, okay? They're very... Direct signs. There's very little subtlety to it, right? And sometimes that's what the translators try and do tone it back, cut it back a little bit. So let's read Jeremiah chapter 13, and it says this This is what the Lord said to me. I'm reading from the NIV translation because it's a pretty good example of how they messed it up. Um, This is what the Lord said to me. Go and buy a linen belt and put it around your waist and do not let it touch the water. Do you get the idea? All right. So do not let it touch the water. So he was to go and get a linen belt and not wash it. Well, Big deal. (laughs) Now, we'll get there in a minute. But that's not actually what he said. Now, you'll notice up here what they've done to you. They've given you a different translation and that translation says, go and buy a linen loincloth. Now a belt is something you put around your waist, right? And um, I'm sure most of you have a belt on. It can be quite embarrassing if you don't sometimes wear a belt. But you get dressed and then you put your belt on, right? Now a loincloth is not put on the outside, it's put on the inside. Yes? Yarandis! Yes! Precisely. What God is telling the prophet here is go and buy a pair of linen underpants. Now, Jeremiah is a priest, okay? You can go back to the early stages of the book of Jeremiah and you can read that he's a priest. Now, as a priest, he would always have to, when he served in the temple, be wearing a pair of linen underpants just like this. He understood this. He was familiar with these garments. If you go back... To the Old Testament again, Moses told them when they made the ephod and all the clothes, okay, that they were at all times to wear underneath their clothes, they were to wear linen underpants. Yes? Why? Because when they ascended up to the altar in front of all the people and that's why, go back and have a look, that's what he tells them to wear the linen underpants for. He didn't want everybody going, oh, no. It, so he says you must you must always wear linen underpants It couldn't be woolen because it would remember the jewish thing about wearing different types of cloth etc and so they had to wear the linen underpants so now this man jeremiah was used to wearing these this underwear all his life as a young priest he would have to wear it now god said to him go and buy a new pair Well, what for? I've already got a pair. I've got several pairs of underpants. No, you have to go and buy a new pair. Now, they're expensive. So he went and he bought a new pair of underpants, right? Now, you're wondering where I'm going. I'm just telling you what it's saying. Okay, I'm not going anywhere. You're going to find out what the Bible's going to say here. So he goes and buys a new pair of underpants, right? Um, And then God said something very interesting to him. He said to him now, and Jeremiah said, so I bought a belt or underpants, as the Lord directed, and I, and I tied them up, and I, and I put them on. Now, they, they went from around about the waist here down to here. So they were more like a, yeah, boxer shorts, a bit longer, okay? So he put them on, and he got dressed. Now, the Lord said to him, don't wash them. Don't let it touch the water. So I bought the belt. As the Lord instructed, and I put it around my waist, uh, and he didn't wash it. Yeah, we don't know. But day after day, he's waiting for the Lord to tell him wash your underpants, and it doesn't happen. So he's wearing his underpants, and wearing his underpants, wearing his underpants. Uh, And you're starting to say, yuck, and that is exactly what the Bible wants you to think, right? Then, what he says to him in verse 4, Now, take your underpants that you bought and are wearing and go to Perath and hide them there in a crevice in the rocks. This is weird, right? This is a prophetic weird thing. So, So he has to take his underpants off, unwashed. He has to go to Parath. Now, if this is the Parath that we know about, it's it's approximately a 600-kilometer journey there and back. It's out into the wilderness. I don't know if it was that far. But anyway, he he goes off, and he goes into the desert, and he looks around for a place that he can sort of bury the underpants. And he finds a place in the rocks, and he, he, he stuffs them in between the rocks, puts the rocks back on top of them, and now he goes back home. Okay, and we don't know how how long it takes, but it says many days later, a long time later, the Lord said to him, "Now go back and get the underpants that I told you to hide there." This is starting to look a bit terrible, isn't it? Can you can you imagine? Oh, please, Lord, I don't want to put those things back on again. So he says, "Go out." And so I, I went to Parath and I, and I dug up the belt and I took it from the place where I had hidden it, but now it was ruined and completely useless. You get the idea? It had rotted and fallen apart. It was already pretty, well, you know, dirty when he put it there. But now it was absolutely dreadfully torn and fallen apart, and completely useless and not good for anything. And now, he's bringing this to Israel and saying, look at this. <laughs> yeah? I wore these and I didn't even wash me underpants. And then I buried them in the desert and then I brought them back. Look at what I've got. Look at this. Now, ready for the word of the Lord? Here it comes. For as the belt... Is around the waist, so I bound my people Israel and all the people of Judah to me, says the Lord, to be my people for my renown and praise and honor, but you wouldn't listen. So, what he's trying to say to us here is extremely important. He's saying, My plan for you is to bind you as close to me as you bind your underpants to you. That's pretty intimate, very close, but you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't be that close to me. You wouldn't come that close to me. You wouldn't be that near to me. So you see, what he's trying to point out to them is that God has a plan for them, and they are not allowing God's plan for them and the type of relationship god wants with them they are not allowing it to become a reality they they won't bind themselves to god and allow god to bind himself to them it's it's a statement that god wants them to be close and so in verse 9 to 11 he, he says in the same way i that these underpants are ruined so i will ruin the pride of judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. These wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their own hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them, will be like these underpants, useless. There's the word. Yeah. That's powerful. I mean, it might be a bit gross, but it's a powerful word. But that's not the end of the message. If it was just, look... You've let me down. I want to be close to you. You don't want to be close to me. You won't be as near to me as I desire you to be. I give you this opportunity of close relationship with me, and you ignore it. Now if, and because of that, your lives are going to fall apart. If that was all it was, that's pretty strong. But he goes one step further. And in verse 11, he says this. For as the belt is bound around the waist, so I bound. All the people of Israel and all the people of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people. That's what God wants. He wants to take us and he wants to bind us around himself. He wants you to bind yourself to God. And if you do that and be his people... Then he promises that he will bless us. You see, this idea of being bound to God, what a marvelous idea it is. What a tremendous revelation. It's, it's this relationship of clinging to God, of being near to God. And it's a, it's a bit of a play on words because he's talking about clinging and being bound tightly. And, and the, the, that is the same word used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, for example, when it, it says that Adam and Eve, uh, they clung to each other. They cleaved. They left their mother and father, and they would cleave. And it's that cleaving, that binding, that uniting, that joining, that sticking together, that staying close, that loyalty to one another that, that was there then. That's what God wants with us. That. That closeness that's what he wants that's the desire of God we sometimes think we have to persuade God so that we can be near to God oh Lord please I just want to be close to you who are you fooling excuse me when you say I want to be close to you excuse me who are you fooling because it is not God who doesn't want to be close to you. It's your sins and your iniquities that have separated you from the Lord God. It is your disobedience that have separated you from the Lord God. It is your turning away from Him and not spending time with Him. Don't come to God and say, I want to be close to you. Get close to Him. Come unto me, He said. Come. Draw nigh unto me, and I will draw nigh unto you. You don't have to stand outside the door and say, can I please come in? He wants you close. If you are not close, it's because you are not coming close. You say, well, I want God to come to me. He can't come any further than the cross. You now have to come to him. He's gone all the way he's going to come. You do understand that, don't you? You need to come to him now. That's why these services like this are good, because we are coming to him. We seek him. We seek him. We come to him. We search for him. We seek him. We want to be near to him. We have a hunger in our heart, and that hunger is to be near to God and have a close relationship to God, not a distant relationship from God. And that's what this idea is about. It's about having this close relationship. As Jesus said, abide in me. Live, abide in me, and I in you. If you abide, abide, live close, knit, close together. That's it. That's what God wants because He's seated us together in heavenly places. He wants us to boldly enter the throne of grace. We are accepted in Christ. We draw near to Him. He draws near to us. The Bible is full of the invitation come on, get close. By using this idea of underpants, firstly, let's say this then. He wants you to understand that your relationship to God is foundational. They are called foundation garments. Are they not, Pauline? Yeah, they are. Why are they called foundation garments? Because, well, first of all, they're the first thing you put on. Have you ever got yourself dressed about to go out the door and says, Oh, darn, forgot to put me undies on. Does not happen. Okay? it might when you're little kids maybe your little kids will do it. But but it doesn't happen because the first thing you do is you put on your underwear. Isn't it? It's first. And that's what he wants you to know, that this relationship with God is fundamental to us. It's foundational to us. It's the first thing we do. It's not like, oh, I'm three-quarters of the way through the day, and then suddenly, oh, dear, I haven't prayed. Oh, dear, I haven't talked to God. I haven't worshiped. I haven't praised. No, no, wait a minute. What are you doing? When you do that, you're putting your underwear on last. And only stupid Superman does that. You put your underwear on top of your clothes, you look an idiot. It's supposed to be the first thing you do, not the last thing you do. Yeah? And for some of us, we've gone all day without the underpants, and then we put them on to go to bed. Oh, Lord, please help. No, come on, hang on. This relationship to God is first. It's the first thing we do. It mustn't come second, third, fourth, or last, it is the first. It is the first thing we do. And, and when we do that, can I say, when you learn to first meet with God, you open your eyes and your first thoughts are for him. Yeah? Come on. You wake up in the middle of the night. Turn your mind towards God. Yeah? Just let your first thoughts. Give him the first fruits of your day. It doesn't have to be an hour on the floor in agony and prayer. But give Him the first fruits of your day. Clothe yourself with Him. Connect with Him. Begin the relationship that day. It's not an end to it, it's a beginning to it. It's the start, the beginning of a relationship every day. Lord, I've come to you. Thank you, Father. Before I get out of this bed, Lord, I bind myself to you. And when you, and this is what I want you to never forget. You will make a decision tomorrow morning. A decision you make every day of your life. You will go to your underpants, wherever they may be. And you will put your hand in that drawer or on that shelf. And you'll pull out a pair of underpants. Now, you probably don't spend a lot of time thinking, oh, which one's today? You know, you might be going to work. You might be going to work in the garden. I mean, you have underpants for all sorts of reasons and occasions, don't you? I understand these things. So you go and you grab a pair of underpants but you grab a pair of underpants and you put them on. And I want you to remember this, that tomorrow when you slip your legs into your underpants and you pull them up, I want you to be saying this, Lord, so I bind myself to you. So I bind myself to you. Lord, I want to be close. Now, you see, there is nothing more irritating than having something come between you and your underpants. <laughs> Have you been on the beach? You get sand in your togs? You know what I mean? It's irritating, right? It, it, it doesn't feel comfortable. You're not right for the rest of the time. You just got to, I got to get home. I got to change because I got, I got to do this. And, 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 and that's... What I mean here, we've got to do this and and make sure nothing gets between us and him. Nothing. Because if it does, it will irritate and it will rub and it will make you roar. I'm telling you, it will be a painful experience. It's got to be on and tight and let's keep it there and let nothing come between us and him. Amen. No sin. Nah. No, 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 No bad behavior. No bad thinking. No... Ah, come on, let's just keep this right. See, when you put it on first, it lines your day up right. It sets you in the right place with God, on the right path with God, because you're going to get the right idea that I, I'm starting my day with you, Lord, and you're my first priority, and this is what I'm going. I'm going with you. Amen? That's why there are other, I suppose, illustrations in the Bible that talk about this first priority, this because he's the foundation upon which we build, etc., uh, And there's a lot of those. We won't go there all along. But I want you to also remember this. It says that it's a binding. And that word binding also comes up a number of times in the Bible uh, uh, in different ways, too. For example, it's the scales of a crocodile that are bound together. And they cannot be separated. Right? It's, it's that sort of thing that it's tied tightly to God. And it's something that is then purposeful. It's, it's something that is deliberate. It's something that's habitual. Yeah? And that's what it has to be in our relationship with him. We hold fast to him and we cleave to him habitually. Yeah? It, it's just a natural part of life. It's not like something we decide to do. Because right? think about this. There are many things you do in life. And, and uh, uh, through the day, your various activities change. And as they change, you will change your clothes accordingly, yeah? So for example, in the morning, you may want to go out for a jog or a walk, and then you would wear your, you know, shorts or whatever you do, or go to the gym. You wear. And then you come home, and then you get changed because you're going to go to work, right? So you put on your work clothes. That might be a uniform, or it might be, you know, certain type of clothing to fit the work clothing standards of where you work right or it might be that you have to wear overalls or whatever it is the bright orange whatever it is right you will change but then you come home again and when you come home that evening, you might decide well you're going to go in the garden you might change or you might be going out for dinner so you you might change i mean you wouldn't go for dinner in your gym clothes would you or in the bright orange viz or you sort of want to get changed right because you're going to go out for dinner. I don't mean take the kids to Maccas, right? I mean go for dinner, right? Yeah? And, and you're going to change again. And then when you come home from dinner, you're going to go to bed, right? And you're going to change again, okay? So during the course of the day, even a man might change his clothing three or four times, depending on the need, the necessity of what he's doing. But have you ever come home from work or and decided that now you were going to go out for dinner and you need to change your underpants. Now, I can tell you as a man, that answer is generally no. (laughs) I can tell you as a woman, it is not necessarily no at all. But let's take this from a man's point of view for a moment, please, ladies. But, you know, we generally put them on once and we take them off once. That's it, right? Come on, guys. Now, you ladies, we're not asking you to conform to that beha- pattern of behavior because we do know that there are reasons why. No, well, let's not go there. But the point is this. There is something consistent about your underwear, no matter what you're doing, no matter what job you have, no matter what profession you're engaged in, no matter what activity you're doing. Your underpants are going to be your underpants. Yeah? And, and that's the other thing that's being said here. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Beneath all of this, there's a consistent relationship with God that stays the same. So it doesn't matter whether you're at work or it doesn't matter whether you're at home. It doesn't matter whether you're at a party. It doesn't matter whether you're with friends. It doesn't matter whether you're down the beach. It doesn't matter. There is underneath all of this stuff we do in life, underneath it all, is a fundamental, basic bond between us and our God. It's the same. So whether you're the coach at the young soccer club or whether you're the doctor in the surgery, and that can be exactly the same person, underneath it all is this one sameness, your relationship with God. So it doesn't matter. You can be the teacher one moment, the student the next. You can be the workman one moment, and you know, the tradey, whatever the next. You can be a parent, and then next you're a child. But underneath, there's one thing. A constant, continuous, perpetual, first, basic relationship with God. That's what he wants. God craves this for us. It is not us trying to persuade God. It's God saying, your place... Your real place is to be bound to me. I want you bound to me. You don't have to beg it, seek it, plead for it, fast and pray for it. Stop it. Just come and bind yourself to me for this is your proper place. That's what God is saying. This is the place of blessing. Sometimes, you know, we come to God, we've got all these strange ideas about what's going on in our relationship between us and God. And we come we say, oh, God, oh, where are you? Where are you? Where, where are you? No, hang on, wait a minute. It was God who said to Adam, where are you? It wasn't Adam who said to God, where are you? I want you to know, when you say to God, where are you, you're being Stupid. Plainly, obviously stupid, because he does not change. I am the Lord, I change not. He is the Father of lights, and there is no shadow of turning in him. He is constantly and always the same, and he does not move. And you say, where are you? He is everywhere, always has been everywhere. Behold, if you go down into hell, he is there. And the furthest parts of the universe, He is as much there as He is here. He has not changed, cannot change. He has not moved, cannot move. He is immovable, unchangeable, powerfully all the same, all the time. God, all mighty. Don't be an idiot and ask Him. Where are you, God? No, it's God asking you. Where are you, buddy? Where are you? I'm always here, but you, you're running off over here and running off over there and forgetting about me here, turning your back on me there, ignoring me there. Come back. He said, come back to me. Come to me. If you are weary and heavy laden, come to me. If you are sick, come to me, the physician. If you are thirsty, come to me and I will give you to drink. Come. That's what God is saying. Come, 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 come. He never says, Go. Do you understand? He doesn't do it. So the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. He says, Okay. You sure? Yeah, teach us to pray. All right. What did they expect him to say? Well, you see, if he's anything like us, if those disciples were anything like us, we would start like this Give me bread. Yeah, I need bread. I need healing. I need money. I need help. I need to solve this problem. I need to do this. I need because that's the way we start our prayers. Give me, 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 give me. We've got the little shopping list, don't we? Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And then if it's really bad, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, and curse them. Jesus' name, I bind them in the name of Jesus. But forgive me, Lord, and give me, Lord, and forgive me, and give me. That's our normal prayer life, yeah? But he said, Look, stop that nonsense. Start like this Our Father. Our Father. Start with me, he says, and your relationship with me. And don't you ask for anything until first you have bound yourself to me as your Father. Bind yourself to me. Bind yourself to me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. I bind myself to you in loyalty. I bind myself to you passionately. I commit myself to you totally. You are my heavenly father and I belong to you. Let's get it right. Most of the time, we don't even bother. We just come with the shopping list. When we're done and out of breath, we walk away. And we wonder why the shopping list never gets filled. Because I want to tell you this now and I want you to understand. He doesn't want to listen to your shopping list You do understand. You do understand, don't you? See, look. If I walk into your house, go straight into the pantry, make myself a sandwich and and, and get myself a drink, and walk out the door, are you going to be very happy with me? Would you call me a friend or a user? How long before you stop me doing it? How long before there'd be no bread the next time I turned up? (sighs) But if I come to your house because I want to spend some time with you, and then you say to me, what would you like to have for lunch? Well, that's a different story, see? That's a different story. But we think because we call him Father, we can abuse him. Huh? But listen, when he said Father you don't understand what he said. Because this is not today's fathers. This is a 2,000-year-old father. And a 2,000-year-old father concept is, he is the master of your life. Power of life and death over you. For a Roman father to kill his child, it was not murder. It was his prerogative. Do understand. Yeah. For a Jewish father to sell his slan- son into slavery to pay the debt was acceptable. Yeah. When we come to him, realize who we're coming to. We are coming to our, he- our heavenly father who loves us. But please understand this. Our relationship is based on binding ourselves in love to him. We bind. Our, it's not, yeah, my father, you have to do what I tell you. No, no, no. It's all based on this binding. And when you've bound yourself to him, then you've committed yourself to him. Then the other things can follow. But not until first, first we bind to him, our father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. And when you say, thy will be done, ask yourself the question, who is going to do the will of God if it is not you? For when you say, thy will be done, you are committing yourself to do his will. And if you say, thy will be done, and you do not do his will, then are you truly a son? That Thy will be done is a commitment. I will do Your will. Remember Jesus. If it be possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. But if not, Thy will be done. Hmm. That's the commitment. Now you're saying that's heavy. No, that's just the facts. Them's the facts. Them's the facts. I don't know what the preachers have told you, but them's the facts. Becoming a Christian is not just accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and let's see how it goes. It's, it's a turning your back on everything and an embracing of God and God alone and committing yourself to be the one who will do his will and to have this relationship with him. Now I keep on going, but I'm out of time. I'm out of time. See, we can sing the song, You Are All I Want. And it's nice in church. But that's not when it matters. And if the musicians can come, maybe you've got something to play. When you say, you are all we want, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is that true? Is that all we want? Or do we want the shopping list? Can you put aside the shopping list for a moment? Can you put aside all your wants I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for what you need. Of course you should. I'm not saying you shouldn't bring all your petitions to God. Of course you should. But, but there are times when that has to be pushed on the side, and we have to set it up right. We have to have the priorities right, and we bind ourselves to God. And there is a phrase in the Old Testament. It says, wait upon the Lord, and he will renew your strength. Hmm? They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. David talks about, I wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. It's constantly there in the scripture. That word wait, yeah, it does mean like to sit and wait. Yes, in anticipation of something happening. Rather like a fisherman sitting there absolutely believing he's going to get a big catch any moment. Yes, and, and deeper than that. But there's another interesting idea about the word wait. Because it means to To weave. To weave. To bind, to weave, to bind, to weave, to bind. So that when we come before the Lord, we're saying, Lord, I bind myself to you. I bind myself to you. I bind myself. I wait upon the Lord. I weave myself to you tight. I want to be close, Lord. I want to be near. I don't want anything to intrude between you and me. No thought, no behavior, nothing. Just bind myself to you. And tonight, and maybe tomorrow morning when you put on your underpants, and maybe when you go out into the world tomorrow, you remember that fundamentally below all things, underneath all things, is this foundational relationship that God wants us to have with him. And that's accessible to you at all times. And if you say, well, my sin has separated me, then you need to come and confess your sin, for He is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You can remove that which comes between you and God, and you can bind yourself to Him again. Bind yourself to Him. Weave yourself around God. Spin yourself Around God. Wrap yourself around God. Just bind yourself close to Him. That's the relationship He's hungering for with you. That's why He saved you. That's why He created you. That's why He made the universe so that you could bind yourself to Him. That is your real place, your proper place, your only real place. That's where you should be any other place is inferior and any other place is not where you will find the best for you because that is not the purpose of God for you bind yourself to him amen